Thank you very much. I've been promised. Can you hear me? Yes, thank you very much. Good morning. Happy Easter. Isn't it wonderful to be together, to have the chance to celebrate the fact that Jesus is alive and to talk about this theme of hope. Hope is just so important. Hope is something that everybody wants. Hope, actually, I think, is something everybody needs. Hope is what sustains life. Hope is to life what oxygen is to the body. It's what sunlight is to plants. It's what rain is to a land in drought. It's what food is to people who've been facing famine. Hope is what sustains life. And a lack of hope, being hopeless, hopelessness, is one of the most kind of horrible feelings and horrible situations we can face in life. All of us need hope. And every single one of us in this room will have things we put our hope in, the things which kind of keep us going, give us the energy to get up each day. It might be that we put our hope in people and in relationships. It might be our hope goes into jobs and kind of education, qualifications. Maybe actually for us, it's more things like money and our possessions, our earthly belongings, the things we put our hope in. Or maybe actually it's community and family and friends All of us have got something we put our hope in. They're the things that give us the energy, that desire to keep on going. But actually, all of those things are temporary. All of those things are perishable. They're things that in any moment can be gone. People leave. People die. Jobs come to an end. Money can be lost. Possessions break and decay. Even our family, our friends can abandon us and walk out on us. None of these are a solid basis for hope. They're all precarious, they're great while they're there, but what happens if they run out on us? Hope would be lost. But the message of Easter, the wonderful, true message of Easter, is that there is a living, unshakable, unending, unquenchable, undefeatable hope available to every single one of us. An eternal hope that will never leave us, never run away, will never, ever fail us. It's the hope rooted in the certain fact that Jesus died But then three days later, Jesus rose from the dead. That he is now alive, he is ruling over all, and one day, one day, he's promised, he will come back. And when he comes back, he will put all things to rights. And we learn about this hope in the Bible, the book that God has given to us to teach us, to speak to us. And we're going to look at one of the Gospels. The Gospels are these four accounts of Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection found in the New Testament, the second part of the Bible. And in particular, we're going to look at a, a gospel by a guy called Matthew. Matthew was a follower of Jesus, someone who spent several years of his life traveling around with Jesus. He's a guy who saw the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus and then recorded what he saw, what he experienced to tell us about who Jesus is and tell us about this hope on offer in him. And we're going to pick up the story right at the very end of Matthew's gospel. And so at this point, we've already had the story of Good Friday. We've already seen Jesus be crucified, and we're going to pick up on Easter Saturday. So on Good Friday, Jesus was handed over to the Jewish authorities and then the Roman authorities. He was falsely accused of being a violent revolutionary, and he was handed over and sentenced to death, and he was crucified on a Roman cross. But actually, if you read Matthew's story, you already have an understanding that this isn't just any other uh, supposed violent revolutionary against the Romans. This wasn't just any other Roman crucifixion. Incredible things happen when Jesus dies. 
When Jesus dies, even though it's the Middle East and even though it's the middle of the day, for three whole hours there is total darkness over the land. And as Jesus dies, this big temple, this bigger curtain which was in the temple, the temple was a place the Jews, God's Old Testament people, used to go to worship him. And there was this huge curtain which separated the place where God lived and the place where the people could go. At the moment that Jesus died, this huge curtain was torn in two from top to bottom. As Jesus dies, there was an earthquake and dead people came back to life. And a few days later, they appeared in Jerusalem encountering the people there. And even the Roman soldiers who were right there at the cross, the guys who executed Jesus, men who'd seen countless numbers of people crucified in just the same way, even they, when they saw how Jesus died, knew that this was different. Knew there was something special. Even they said, this must be the Son of God. We've already seen in Matthew's story that something out of the ordinary is happening. Something incredible is happening in Jesus. And now we're going to pick up the story On Easter Saturday, Jesus has been buried in the tomb. And we're going to read from Matthew 27, verse 62. The next day, on the Sabbath, the leading priests and the Pharisees went to see Pilate, that's the Roman ruler. And they told him, Sir, we remember what the deceiver once said while he was still alive. After three days, I will rise from the dead. So we request that you seal the tomb until the third day. This will prevent his disciples from coming and stealing his body and then telling everyone he was raised from the dead. If that happens, we'll be worse off than we were at first. Pilate replied, take guards and secure it the best you can. So they sealed the tomb and posted guards to protect it. Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. And suddenly there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. His face shone like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the woman. Don't be afraid, he said. I know you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He isn't here. He's risen from the dead, just as he said would happen. Come, see where his body was lying. And now, go quickly. And tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead and he's going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I have told you. The women ran quickly from the tomb. They were very frightened, but also filled with great joy. And they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. And as they went, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they ran to him, grasped his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go, tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. Now, as the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city, and they told the leading priests what happened. A meeting with the elders was called, and they decided to give the soldiers a large bribe. They told the soldiers, you must say, Jesus' disciples came during the night, while we were sleeping, and they stole his body. If the governor hears about it, we'll stand up for you so you won't get in trouble. So the guards accepted the bribe and said what they were told to say. And their story spread widely among the Jews, and they still tell it today. Then the eleven disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some of them doubted. The story starts in a situation of utter, utter hopelessness. 
Jesus' followers had believed that he was the one whom God had promised to send, the one who would come and would deliver them, the one who would come and put all things to rights. You see, the Jews, God's Old Testament people descended from God's Old Testament people, were waiting. They were waiting for God to act, waiting for hope to really arrive, waiting to be freed from Roman rule, but actually far more importantly, they were waiting to be freed from the rule and the power of sin over their lives. He said they knew that every one of us is ruled by what the Bible calls sin. That we all choose to live our lives in rebellion against God. We all choose to go our own way rather than God's way. We worship and love and serve created things down here rather than the creator who made us and is deserving of all our love and all our worship and all our service. We choose to make our own way rather than God's way even though actually God's way is the place where we find true fullness of life. And you see, the people like Jesus' followers, they knew, they understood that this sin, this rebellion had damaged the world. That all the pain and hurt and brokenness, all the hopelessness in the world was because of the fact that humans had turned away from God and had rejected him. And they knew that this sin and this rebellion had affected themselves. It had affected their relationship with God, where they were created and designed to be in intimate relationship with God. Instead, now they're being separated from him. Instead, that relationship had been broken. But they also knew that God had promised to deal with this problem. That God had promised to send someone to come somehow to deal with it. To put all the brokenness back to rights and to restore humans into relationship with God. And they believed that Jesus was this promised one. He was the one who would drive out the Romans. He was the one who would deal with sin. He was the one who would restore their relationship with God. He was the one, as Matthew talks about it earlier, who would bring in God's kingdom. God's perfect reign over all. But now, Jesus was dead. The one they had hoped in was dead, executed by the very people he was meant to come and defeat. And he'd been buried in a tomb. Jesus had died, and hope had died with him. And it looked like the end of the story. Maybe Jesus had got it wrong. Maybe the disciples misunderstood Jesus. They'd all kind of got misunderstood, all got it wrong. It was over. And that's how these two Marys must have felt when they went to the tomb that morning. These two Marys, uh, Matthew tells us, were there when Jesus was crucified. They were looking on from a distance. And then they were there when Jesus' body after he died was placed in the tomb. They're sitting opposite, we're told. They see him uh, be buried in the tomb. And on this Sunday morning, they're going to visit, or literally actually Matthew tells us, to see, to look at the tomb. They're not expecting to find anything other than the place where this guy, their hope had been in, has died and has been buried. But then, in a moment, hope breaks in. As they're approaching the tomb, there's this earthquake. And this angel appears. He comes down. He rolls away the massive stone that's been placed there to block the entrance and is being sealed to keep people out. He rolls it away and just casually sits down on it. And the guards, the ones placed there by the authorities to make sure no one could get into the tomb, no one could steal the body, they're so terrified that they fall down as if they are dead men. Those who were there to guard the dead act as if they were dead because the one who was dead is now alive. And the angel announces to the woman the breaking in of this hope. He looks at them and he says, I know why you're here. I know you've come to see this Jesus, the one who was crucified. But he says, he isn't here. He's risen from the dead. 
just as he said would happen, come and see where his body was lying. He's saying, come on in, come and see the proof. The tomb is empty. Jesus' body is no longer here. He is alive. He's alive and risen from the dead. And in that moment, hope has broken into hopelessness. Light has pierced the darkness. And so following the angel's instructions, the women rush off. They go and tell the other Jesus followers what's taken place. We're told they're frightened, but also there is this great joy bubbling up inside of them because they're beginning to realize what has happened. But then they meet Jesus. They're going on their way and suddenly they bump into him. And their response is to fall down before him, grasp his feet and to worship him. They express love and devotion and worship to this risen Jesus because he's revived their hope. He's light in darkness. He's life in death. And because they're beginning to understand what the rest of the Bible story would explain to us. They're beginning to understand that what had looked like a terrible, terrible defeat had actually been the ultimate triumph. That there had been a defeat, but Jesus wasn't the one who was defeated. Jesus was the one who was defeating. He had defeated sin, and he had defeated death, the great enemies of the human race. That big problem God had promised to fix, he had now done in the death and resurrection of Jesus. And if Jesus had defeated sin, if he'd taken upon himself the punishment that our rebelling against God deserves, he'd become a sacrifice, a, a substitute for us. And if he'd defeated death, triumphing over it by being raised from the dead, then hope had broken in. I hope that can't die, because Jesus can't die again. I hope that cannot fade. I hope that cannot be taken away. Jesus' resurrection gives birth to an eternal hope. And it's a hope available to each and every one of us. It's an invitation to each and every one of us, the hope of relationship with God, the very relationship we're made to enjoy, to be enjoyed right now here and then for all of eternity, and the hope of spending eternity with God when Jesus comes back in a perfect, perfect new creation where everything we hate, everything that causes us pain, everything that causes us sorrow is put to rights, and we are with him for all of eternity. And as Matthew tells us this story, tells us about this hope, he wants us to get that this is a sure and certain thing. He wants us to get, this isn't kind of a wishful thinking hope. This isn't a, well, it'd be nice if this happens. I'm kind of hoping it might, but who knows? We'll have to wait and see. This is a certain expectation. That's what we're talking about when we talk about this hope, a certain expectation. And it's a certain expectation because it's based on something solid. It's not like all the perishable, changeable things we might put our hope in we talked about earlier. It's based on something solid that cannot change. Matthew wants us to get this hope is based on the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And he wants us to get that that really, really happened. That's why as he tells the story of the women and the disciples and meeting Jesus, he interweaves into it that story of the guards and the authorities sealing the tomb and then making up the story about the disciples stealing the body of Jesus. You see, the authorities did not like Jesus. They didn't like him. They didn't like what he was saying. They didn't like what he and his followers were claiming. And they knew that if his followers could say that he'd been raised from the dead, then the thing they thought they'd extinguished would have been reignited. But the reality is, as much as they didn't like it, the guards couldn't stop Jesus, and they couldn't stop the angel, and so they make up this story. They make up the story to try and explain away the fact that the tomb was empty, claiming the disciples had stolen the body, 
while the guards were sleeping because they can't accept what this resurrection actually means. And Matthew puts that story in there. He weaves it in because he wants us to be able to see how utterly absurd the idea is that the disciples might have stolen the body. He's telling us the story to show us this really happened and it's an absurd idea to suggest the disciples stole the body. It's just completely implausible to think that Roman guards would have slept through a bunch of random Jewish guys coming, moving a humongous stone that had been sealed on the tomb, carrying the body of Jesus away, which had been wrapped in loads and loads of linen, would have weighed an awful lot and got it away without them noticing. And even if they had... How are these authorities claiming to know it was Jesus' disciples who stole the body if they slept through it? doesn't sound like a very convincing story if they're claiming they were asleep, but they know who did it. And it's really interesting. You, you read Matthew and you look through all the historical evidence of, of the time that we have. And as far as I can see, there's no evidence that the authorities ever tried to track down and punish the disciples for uh, stealing the body. They don't like the disciples. Later on, they tried to kill them, but they never accused them of stealing the body. It's the reason why they tried to kill them. They don't do it because they know it's not true. And if they really believed that the disciples had stolen the body, and they really didn't want people to think that Jesus had raised from the dead, then they would have put all the energy they had, all the abilities they had, into finding the body of Jesus and presenting it to the people. If they could have shown people the body of Jesus, they could have proved once and for all that he did not rise from the dead. But they didn't do that. In fact, again, Matthew, other historical sources, there's no evidence they even looked for a body. That's because they knew there was no point. They knew there was no body to be found. They knew that Jesus had raised from the dead. They just made up this story. And then we can simply ask just, why would the disciples steal the body? And more importantly, why would they steal the body and then spend their lives telling people that Jesus had raised from the dead, and far more importantly, being willing to be killed, to be martyred for the belief that Jesus had raised from the dead. People die for things they believe in all the time, even things that aren't true. No one willingly dies for something they know isn't true. If the disciples were making this up, if they stole the body, they knew he hadn't raised from the dead, why would they willingly allow themselves to be martyred, be killed for this belief? It doesn't make sense. It's not a plausible story. That's what Matthew's trying to get us to see. The empty tomb on Sunday morning is a historical fact. Pretty much everybody, every historian, every person who studies it agrees the tomb was empty on Easter Sunday. That's actually not the debated point at all. The question is, how did the tomb end up empty? And the only plausible answer is that Jesus really did rise from the dead. And so many people have found this in the last 2,000 years. There are lots of stories of people seeking to set out to disprove the resurrection, to disprove the fact that Jesus rose from the dead and kind of stop Christianity in its tracks. A lot of them have been lawyers, people who are trained to and spend their lives looking at evidence and analysing and working out what's really happened. Or academics who are always working with logic and arguments and evidence. And yet so many of these people who set out to try and disprove Christianity and stop it, None of them are being successful so far. And so many of them find that actually, when they look at the evidence, all the evidence points to the fact that Jesus really did rise from the dead. So many people who've set out to disprove Christianity actually have ended up becoming a follower of Jesus because the historical basis of the resurrection of Jesus is just so, so strong. And Matthew wants us to get that this hope is based on a strong, solid historical basis. 
And that's why it can be an eternal, solid hope that won't fail us, won't run out on us, won't decay, won't fail in any way. It's solid based on the resurrection of Jesus. And the other thing is we read Matthew's account that he wants us to understand, he wants us to get that when we know that Jesus has raised from the dead, we then have a choice to make. We have a choice to make about the response that we then make. Because you notice he tells us about these two groups. There's the women and the disciples on the one hand, and then there's the guards and the authorities on the other hand. All of them know that Jesus has risen from the dead. All of them know that that is true, and yet they respond in very different ways. We have to respond. How do we choose? How do we respond to the fact that Jesus has raised from the dead? We can respond in a way that Jesus' resurrection becomes the source of our eternal hope. Or actually, we can respond in a way that it doesn't, and we ignore it, and we suppress it and deny it. The guards and the Jewish authorities knew the truth, and yet they ignore that truth. They suppress it, they deny it. That's because they know that if they acknowledge that Jesus has been raised from the dead, they'll be admitting things about themselves. They'll be admitting this really was the one God has sent, and he sent him to rescue them. They'd be admitting that they are sinners, people who've rebelled against God, people who need God's forgiveness in order to be in relationship with him and in order to live with him for all eternity. And they knew that to admit that Jesus is raised from the dead would be to admit that he was now king over all and therefore they would have to live their lives in submission to him. But by contrast, the women who encounter Jesus and the disciples who encounter him in Galilee at the end of the story when they meet the risen Jesus, when they know Jesus is raised from the dead, they worship him. They submit themselves to him. The difference there is they were prepared to acknowledge that they needed a saviour. They needed a rescuer. They needed someone to die in their place as a substitute and then to conquer death by being raised again. And they were willing to admit and recognise that Jesus was now the king over all. And that therefore they were going to live their lives in submission to him and in submission to his ways. And the Bible calls this right response to Jesus and the resurrection, repenting and believing. To repent means to acknowledge that we've lived in the wrong way. It's kind of to acknowledge we've been walking in the wrong direction, walking away from God, walking in rebellion against him, trying to make our own way when actually God's way is best for us. It's to recognise we've done that, to regret doing that, and to repent is to choose to recognise I'm going in the wrong direction, so I'm going to stop and I'm going to turn. I'm going to turn my back on my old life, and instead I'm going to choose to live God's way and walk towards him. And it's when we walk towards him, that's when we're doing the believing part. Because on our own, we're not worthy to walk towards God, to live his way, to be with him. But actually what we believe in, we believe in his promise to forgive us, to take away all that mess of the stuff we've done, and his promise to receive us into relationship with him, and his promise to receive us into eternity with him. We repent by turning away from an old life, and we believe in God's promises and start life with him, choosing to live his way, choosing to worship him, and to live in submission to him. And it's only when we do this, only when we respond rightly to the reality of Jesus' resurrection, that we get this eternal hope. Hope of relationship with God now and forever. Hope of eternity spent with him in utter, utter perfection. Can I write the band to head back up, please? Friends, this is the real, solid, eternal hope, which is at the very heart of the story of Easter. A hope 
on offer to every one of us. The hope that actually every one of our hearts is created by God to long for and to thrive in. Hope of life with God. A God who loves us, a God who cares us for us, a God who says that when we're one of his people, he never leaves us and never forsakes us. The hope that one day all things will be restored, all things that are broken, all the things that cause us hurt and pain and difficulty will be put to rights. And the hope that we will get to live with God in that perfection for all of eternity. And all of this hope is rooted in the sure and certain fact that 2,000 years ago, Jesus died but then he was raised from the dead. And so the challenge for us is how will we respond? Today, how will we respond to the fact that Jesus is alive? Will we ignore it and avoid it? Even though the evidence tells us it happens, will we choose to ignore it and walk away from God? Or will we bow down in worship? Will we willingly uh, submit to him, acknowledging that he is king, acknowledging that we need him to save and rescue us? And be united to him in that relationship with him. That's the challenge to us today. We're going to continue to worship with a few more songs in just a moment. And this is a chance for us to do exactly this. Maybe we're here today and you're a follower of Jesus. This is a wonderful opportunity for once again you to pour out your heart. Give your very own self, your whole life to Jesus in worship. Maybe you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus. Maybe you've never heard the meaning of the resurrection before. Maybe you've never thought about what it means for Jesus to have raised the, been raised from the dead and how we should respond. But maybe today you're thinking, I believe this happened. And I believe I need Jesus. And I believe I need to take some steps today. Well, friend, as we worship, as the band help us in just a moment, you can take the first step by choosing to worship, choosing to express love and devotion and honour to God. And then kind of after a song or two, some of the guys are going to lead us and we're going to have a chance to respond to Jesus, a chance to repent, turn away from our old life and to believe, to cling on to the promises of Jesus. And you can leave this place today knowing you're having eternal hope rooted in the sure and solid fact of the resurrection of Jesus. I'm going to invite you to stand. I'm going to hand over to the band, then lead in worship and then the hosts will lead us through a bit later.